Welcome to episode 564 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Radio team, welcome along to episode 564 of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James Oz. How you going, mate? I'm good, Bevan. It's a sunny day. Had a haircut? Had a haircut. Had a swim this morning. Did it smell the chlorine? Yeah, we've done a bit. Well, you've been out exercising as well, I so... Have, uh, I don't really smell. No, I'm sure you don't. You know the key to not smelling? Change your clothes. Right, good. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know? Literally, if you do exercise for a few days, finish, yeah, you start to smell. Mm-hmm. You get that sticky feeling, don't you? Yeah, that's the <laughs> no, had a swim. It's a sunny day. Snow on the mountains. Go for a ride after this. All is good. Happy days. How long are you going to ride today? Hour and a half. Where do you go? Out around the flat. A couple of 30 minute efforts, a half Ironman pace. I'm your friend on Strava now. Yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Haven't commented on any of my workouts or I haven't commented on any of yours. I had a really good run. I did from here 10k up Harriel mm-hmm. and back. So from here up Harriel. Which is sort of, it's an it's off road track. It's probably. Two, three percent, maybe. Yeah, but up, up's a little yep. bit steeper. Yeah, and then up to left up Harriol to the, to the next car park. Ten mm-hmm. k back, forty one minutes. There you go, smoking it. That was on fire. I've got the best on Strava for coming down Harriol this year. Really? Yeah, number one. <laughs> Not that you're competitive. Third overall, number one this year. All oh, right. Yeah. Not that so you're competitive or checking out Strava. You, <laughs> I, did, you, you I didn't know until it. I got home, and then when I saw that, I was. <laughs> Strava rocks. Okay, Iron Talk is proudly brought to you by Athlinks.com. Social networking for endurance athletes. Extreme endurance. Your lactic buffer. And our patrons. And Paula, the divine one, green. I know Paula, she's a rock star. Colette, Coasting Andrews. Robin, Mr. Big Trotman. Uh, Paul, Mango Mad Moore. Mango Mad. I don't know how we came out with that. No. Of the grinder, Christine McKinley. She was grinding it out in the pool this morning. Yeah, get up. It just never sounds <laughs> right. Um, if you want to become patron, go to www.iamtalk.me and you can support the show. Guys, on this week's show, we've got some news, we've got a discussion of the week, we've got a statistic, and then we've got an interview with Gillian Aspen, and mm-hmm. we're going to be talking around mental health, and she's doing some research where you guys can help out with that. Be really good. I've got a bit of a sore throat, so I'm trying to drink my cup of tea. Um, questions and answers at the end, guys. We had a couple of races on this weekend, and gotta say, I didn't know Frodo was racing. Wow, it wasn't, wasn't. I mean, when you win by 32 minutes, so they had cha- challenge uh, Taiwan was on at the weekend. But it wasn't promoted beforehand, was it? Uh, there was a little mention of it, but I think. It- I don't know. I don't know what the objective was there. The main race, though, is the full, and you had the little man versus the big man <gasps> in this one. So Frederick Cronenberg, who is uh, petite in stature, but pulls out some very big performances. Pretty complete race, wasn't it? Uh, but he's, it's a thing. He's so well acclimatised. He lives in Phuket. Um, he's a smaller guy, but man, he is consistent racing in Asia. So he swam forty-eight. Wrote a blistering 4.13 and then ran a 2.53 for an 8.03.21. Well, that's the surprise of the race because you think Dougal Allen, who's an ex-cyclist. Led, yeah, I mean, Torsten has him as one of the strongest riders in the world. And Guy Crawford actually had the fastest bike of the day. Mm, well done, Guy. Yeah. So Dougal Allen swam 54. Uh, he rode 4.16 and ran 2.52 for an 8.11. So don't know if he had any issues on the bike. Maybe he did. But he's also a very smart cookie. He is a 
big unit and I suspect he was probably uh, controlling things on the bike to make to, in order to, to run. Yeah, I okay. mean, he, 252 is solid in the heat. So for, for a big dude, that's, that's awesome. He's, he's not... He's, he's a good runner, but he's 252 is... Him that's going great. Really well, yeah. And Guy Crawford was third in 8.23. So... Well, that's probably Guy's best result. It's really solid. I don't think yeah. he's won a, a full distance, has he? No. No. I don't believe so. So good work. Uh, on the girls' side of things, we had Verena Walter from Germany take it out in 9.25, from Lucy Reed from Czech Republic, and Kathleen Hasner from New Zealand, haven't heard that name before, in 9.46. So I had a quick look at Challenge Taiwan in terms of the, the, the quantity or the size of the field. They had around 400 finishes in the full, which is nice size race, and over 700 and a half. Then they had teams and what have you as well. So, yeah, it looks like, you know, often I think we have this thing, if you don't have two or 3,000 people, the race is not a, a raging success. But I reckon I'd like to race, well, I like racing in, in events about that size, you know. Enough people on the start line of the full to feel like you're not just all out there on your own. And then that sort of gets pumped up in terms of the atmosphere with uh, with a good number of half athletes as well. As Bevan said, Jan Fredino was there. He only just won. Only just. By 32 minutes. By 32 minutes <laughs> in, in the half distance. So whether that was just an appearance thing, whether they were giving him a stack of money to do that, whether he was en route somewhere else. Um, it's an odd one. It's a bit of a head scratcher. Yeah, it is a head scratcher. That's my new favourite saying, John. <laughs> bit of a head scratcher it was. Yeah. John Boat, St George is coming up this weekend, and what a field. This is going to be awesome. This is sensational. So we know Alistair Brownlee won his first half-distance race uh, a week or two ago in Grand Canary and did it in reasonably convincing fashion um, just to you know, brush off the cobwebs, see where he's at. He got well spanked in the... Super League earlier this year, but his focus is on uh, going to be on middle distance and possibly on long distance at some stage. So he is up against the big kahunas at St George. Lionel Sanders is racing, Sebastian Keenlay's racing, Rob Brownlee, Tim Don, Brent McMahon, Ben Hoffman, Joe Gambles. Um, so it is Tyler Butterfield. So you've got a strong bunch of athletes, Sylvain Sudry, Matt Charbot. Who's uh, missing? You'd say Frodo, Tim Reid. Uh, yeah, I mean, seventy point three guys. You know, like I suppose you could sell Gomez. Yeah, there's, there's a bunch of guys going, but this will this will give us a good indication of where he's at. It's going to be a really interesting race to see how it pans out because Brownlee will be either first out of the swim unless there's some real gun swimmer there. You'll probably have um, Tim Don, Brent McMahon, maybe not too far off the pace, but Keenlay is going to be a little way back, and then Lionel Sanders is going to be even further back. So I'm fascinated to see how he stacks up on the bike against those dudes. He'll, I, I think he's just going to destroy everybody. Oh, you think? Yeah, but I'll be interested to see how he how he rides. We know at Olympic distance he's aggressive and he just kills everybody and just. Is he the best rider? Well, on the face of it, it appears that he is. Whether he is or not, we're going to find out. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if he matches those guys. I'd be, I'd be somewhat surprised if he outrides them. But he's going to be I don't know and a half. Five minutes, maybe in front of Lionel Sanders. Four to four minutes, maybe around that sort of mark. You know, and a good couple of minutes probably up on Keenlay. Like Brownlee is a top-notch swimmer, so he's not going to be pissing around. So he's going to have a big gap. And uh, if they've got, if they want to ride up to him, I'd imagine they will have to ride pretty hard. I can't imagine Alistair Brownlee playing the waiting game. It's not in his. uh, No, he's always always an aggressive racer, isn't he? Mm. So this is where I think his career gets really interesting. Now, seventy point three. 
he's probably still going to get away with aggressive racing. But mm. if he does an Ironman, or hopefully when he does an Ironman, will that be his downfall? May or may not be. It the guy's be, an axe. Could be record-setting time. Yeah, but that's what we said about Lessing, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. Totally. You absolutely. Know? So there's been plenty of guys, well, not plenty, but there's been guys of his pedigree come over and not perform. So... Mm. Um, good racing girls. Girls, uh, Holly Lawrence. We'll see if she carries on her domination of the seventy point three distance. She seems somewhat unbeatable at this stage. Uh, also looking forward to seeing how Rachel Joyce is yeah. progressing. Uh, it's a good, good, strong field, but you'd have to think that Holly Lawrence will uh, will probably clean them all up. So this is the North American seventy point three championships, and great to see that they have got you know a good championship type field. So then we also have Ironman Australia and. It's funny because over the last period of time, we've been talking about how good the fields are and how deep the fields are gotten in Ironman racing. And I know this isn't a championship race, but you kind of think Ironman Australia should be their championship race. Yeah, but Cairns, Cairns is, is where it's at. So I know, but mm. this field, like in the Gilles, you've got six athletes. Mm. So And in the guys, you've only got uh, 13, 13 starters. So you're guaranteed you're going to have some DNFs there and possibly some DNSs. So and when you look at the previous winners of this race, you've got McCormick, Vernay, Jacobs, you know, Chrissy, Bentley, Keat, you know, legends of the sport, and now it's third-class citizen. It is, but you've got some good good guys racing. You know, I think it could be quite an interesting race there if David Dallow's on his A game. Um, Tim Reid is a defending champion. He won his first race there uh, last year, uh, so he is expected to come in an 8.13. Uh, David Dallow, and then you've got Michael Fox, Brett and Brad Carterfelt, and Clayton Fattel, Paul Ambrose. So it's it's a good competitive field. You'd have to think that if Tim Reid's on his game, he should win relatively easy but he's um, but hit and miss at the iron distance distance he's had his one last year but outside of that it's been a bit of a bit of a lottery uh, so I'm looking forward to, to a good race so not a massive field but um, yeah good quality field that I should think should should see some good racing the girls, women's race on the is side. 1% of a Kona field yes and uh, Laura Siddle is expected to come in 21 minutes in front of the next athlete based off Torsen's ratings and she's pretty consistent so I can't imagine she's going to have too many problems there although she has raced quite a bit she did um, challenge Wanaka uh, I can't remember what she did at Ironman New Zealand but she has been racing fairly regularly but uh, that being said I'd still expect her to go pretty well it's 2000 point race as uh, most iron distance races except for the championship ones and there's $40,000 US up for grabs so the question I have John and probably maybe Australian listeners can kind of let us answer this what race what iron distance race in Australia do the Australians think are the most important right now because I know Keynes is a championship race but it's a stupid time of the year Yes and no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm understanding what you're saying. So I wonder what the Australian triathlete thinks is this is the best iron distance race to do in Australia or the most important. Because hmm. pro-wise... Pro-wise, it'll be, it'll be Ken's. I'd yeah. imagine they'll get a reasonable field there. But timing-wise, you'd kind of think that if, they, if this was their championship race... I would have thought they might have had a better chance of getting a better field. Once you start getting into June, then you're going to be competing with Rote and Germany. Frankfurt and the North American races and what have you. So I would have thought that they would have stood a better chance uh, with an early race. But money talks. And by all accounts, this race is, is it's a good, oh, great race, club club racing, and it's a great race. It's just maybe the pro race isn't, isn't uh, quite what it used to be. 
Okay, um, John, we just got an email through from Rob, and he was just saying at I'm in Texas Fast Times. No doubt you and Bevan will be going to have a discussion today that he actually sent it last week. We missed it for last week. But he was basically saying about the top five going sub eight in Texas, probably with some speculation as to why. Just for your info, the bike course was short. 110 miles and the run course was only 41.5 granted that was from my garmin and there are lots of twisty turns and wooded wooded areas on the run course where my gps may not have picked up accurately but pretty much everyone's garmin measured short i think they tried to measure the bike course as accurately as they could but it took place on a closed highway three or four lanes with five lanes at some points so it would not have been possible to measure the northbound part of that super accurately because on normal days it would have been against going against traffic but still two miles is quite a bit there have been a few out and back sections on normal roads where they could have made it a bit longer, so they'll probably fix that for next year's race. Other than that, the bike course is very fast. There are a few U-turns which slowed it down a bit, but the long stretches on the highway made up for that. The pros are all riding in a group, legal distance of course, except for Starkey, who is way off in the front of his zone. The weather was not hot, and I think it also helped to ensure that the run was not slow. Anyway, that's my two Yeah, so, I don't know. It, from, I look at this from a race organiser's point of view. Sometimes it is more challenging than you might think to get a 100% accurate course. You'd think, oh, it's just extended out there a bit, but if you start closing this extra road here and there, so I understand why sometimes it isn't 100% accurate, but I think there should be a real push to to try to make things as accurate as you possibly Especially can. Especially championship reason. races. Yeah. Um, so it's a shame that it's short. I mean, the time still would have been fast, but we had, what, three guys under under eight hours, uh, the top three. So impressive stuff. And, um, yeah, thanks for sending that through, Rob Gray. Chris Wizzle also sent That's through great an email because we also were questioning how Jocelyn McCauley went because last week we recorded the show on Monday night. We re- normally record on Tuesday morning, which is why some of these emails didn't get through in time. Just want you to know, let you know that Jocelyn had a flat on the bike and then other bike issues in Ironman Texas just seemed a little unclear as to what happened to her. So that's why she was obviously off the mark, but she still did finish. Um, also, one other thing that I didn't mm. hear about, uh, Matt Ride sent this in. Um, another swim death at Ironman Texas this past weekend, and I wondered, uh, has the swim initiati- initiative that Ironman implemented a few years back helped with less people dying during the swim at their races? So tragically, I mean, hearts go out to the, the families mm. of, the, of these people. I, lo- I did a quick Google search, and it sounded like the guy that did pass away had done maybe seven Ironmans. Uh, it sounded like he didn't like swimming very much. I'm um, not sure if it was a heart-related issue or something else, but it sounded like he came kind of staggering out of the water, and and the, yeah, it just wasn't obviously was not good. But yeah, I'll be intrigued to know if this is just a numbers game or if there really is something that um, it's, it's it's a problem with the swim. So, but in saying that. Horrible. Let's just clarify that. But and, and this is me just basing on memory. The death factor in our sport has been pretty consistent in this time we've been doing a show. Mm. Like it's it's very it's probably once a year mm. we see something like this coming up. It's not like suddenly it's got a lot more. Now now, Millie, this is just from me thinking back on our history of the show. But I, I I'm pretty sure the numbers of would be consistent even if, you know, because what Matt's kind of saying here is, has changing the swim actually created more deaths because more people who are poorer swimmers now think that it's an option to do the swim. Mm. Um, uh, Just, again, from me remembering, 
it seems to have stayed about the same. Now, this is horrible, and we don't, obviously don't want it to ever happen in our sport, but I don't know if it's increased. I don't think it would have increased. I definitely think from the athletes that I talked to, anxiety levels have definitely gone down in the swim, and, and, and I think that would have helped. For competitive people like me, I'm not happy about it. I'm going over to Kona 70.3, and it's a rolling start this year over there, uh, and I want to know when who you, I'm When racing. are you going there next week? Uh, three weeks' time, I think, okay. three and a half weeks. So, But I definitely do, do think that it has helped reduce anxiety, which you would assume might reduce the instances of, of heart-related issues. So, yeah, our condolences to the family at Ironman Texas who have lost. Uh, he was, I think he was in sort of 55 to 59 age group, something like that. So horrible thing. But, yeah, I'll be intrigued to know if anything comes out as to what's, you know, the autopsies and what's causing this. Okay, John's sponsor. Extreme Endurance. Fuel 5, tell me about it. If you guys are out there looking for an alternate fuel source, if you've been struggling with your... You don't use 91 litres? 91 litres? <laughs> no. Upgrade to, what is it, 95? Yeah. Uh, if you're looking for an alternative fuel source, check out Extreme Endurance Fuel 5. It's a cutting-edge energy carbohydrate formula made up of five different forms of fuel, four different types of carbo- carbohydrate plus lactate, which is a differentiating factor for those guys compared to other sports drinks. It's a proprietary blend of organic sweet potato, maltodextrin, dextrose, lactate and sucrose and designed to give your body its preferred substrate fuel enzyme to promote glycogen synthesis so i've tried this product uh in training and a little bit in racing as well and just find the taste is uh, a lot less sugary than what you might get from some of the other um sports drinks and a little longer lasting so if you've been struggling give it a try take it out for a good key training session you know a good five hour ride test it out see what you think and uh and try to settle that stomach down so check it out xendurance.com and you're looking for fuel five and remember the promo code imtalk20 to get 20 percent off check 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 it out xendurance.com okay john last week's discussion was would it be better to have a qualifying section for the championship races for the age group competitor um very interesting discussion, John. So, would it work? Oh, here's what I actually wrote. Would it work to have an age group qualification for regional championship races? And if they had championship waves, would you be more motivated to attend these races? And we've got quite a bit of interest. So, Jumbo, do you want to start? We did. So, let's see. Christine, the grinder McKinley, she, she's getting a lot of mentions on the show lately. She's just grinding out those interests. Grinding out those mentions. Uh, she said. She said, she said, she said, Grinder says yes. Frank Houdini says yes. Mark LaRoche says yes. Mike, Thig- Mike Th- uh, Threadgold says bullet points. No, no. And then a smiley face. <laughs> well, Lucy France says, I'm going to say no, as it would not would add more expenses on what is already an expensive sport. Having to do a race to qualify for a regional championship to then having to travel abroad to an expensive location to do a regional championship for... Uh, which for us in Europe would be Ironman, South Africa, Frankfurt, Texas, all of which I've done before would just be too much money. That's a really good point. Mm-hmm. Yep. Matt Moran uh, says yes, and have a colour for each age group so you can tell who your opposition is. Oh, that's a good point. Arnold Selikoff has that. Yep, that's pretty good. Uh, no, I don't think we need a qualification for regional championship. It has been tried before it wrote, as you needed to qualify to get there through Germany. I am in. Uh, I think that like wrote in Kona Qualified Championship, I'd rather see one pro wave, a sub-nine wave, a sub-3 
uh, second wave would be fastest age groupers. Then age group wave starts since 99% of us are probably going to be racing with our age group 200 max in each wave. Less drafting is good. Duncan Penfold, yes, 1,000%. At regional championship races and maybe at Kona, they could be split the field into mass start for those who want to compete for places and a rolling start shortly after for the completers. Rob Gray followed up. That's a great idea. Wish they would do that. Sam Brown, yes for that. For all races, both 70.3 and Ironman. Fair dinkum, folks. Mass waves. Um, com completers rolling start in after the last wave. Okay, Skip Slater's got age groupers. Qualification could work if Ironman consulted with John and Bevan first. Well, I, I, they, they should consult with us with everything first, Skip, but you're a wise man. Um, I'm not in favour of it, though. I think the fact that there are more Kona slots available at regional championship races is enough of a drawing card. That's a good point. Yeah. Having seen how fast the 60 to 64 men went at Texas, my previous belief that I would drop out uh, I could drop 30 minutes of my time and have a chance has just been dashed. I think qualifying races was a direct result of the extra slot would be offered for the age groups. So, yeah. Uh, last one I've got there is Tony Hodge. You need to make the completers ineligible for podiums, otherwise it negates the benefit of a championship wave. Then it gets tricky for all those allocating Kona slots. slots. Does the first place competitor get positioned according to their finish time in the age group, or do you have to settle for being placed behind everyone who decided to enter in the championship wave? Good point there. Pike Reardon's got, I'd be more interested for sure. It's all about racing my age group now, dividing them up so we knew who was going, what was going on. So yeah. What do you think, John? Pa I'll do one last one. Pavel says, uh, yes, right now, championship race means sweet if all. Number two, depends on the he here. Uh, I'm not quite sure. It depends on the here is space on the road in the way. But anyway, he says right now, championship <laughs> races uh, <laughs> mean sweet F all. So um, I think the, well, the reason I put this question out there is it would, for me, it would motivate me to go to a race if there was a, a championship wave. Um, the logistics of how you do it, I don't think it'd be that hard. I mean, in terms of going to particular qualifying races, I would have thought you maybe. It's like maybe getting in cycling, you sort of have your Cat 1, your Cat 2, Cat 3, and just having some fairly simple procedure where you are of standard to be eligible for the championship wave, and that might be finishing within a percentage of the winner at a 70.3 in Ironman race, maybe within a, a two-year window or something like that. And then you're eligible to enter into this race. So it wouldn't be some you must go to I mean, this race and this race, and they're the only ones you can qualify. That just wouldn't work. If you can just prove that you're sort of of championship ability based off the last couple of years, then you can enter the championship race. And if you're not, then uh, you need to go into the other wave. And the way that I would envisage it would be so then the, the, so you'd get all the waves going, and then you'd have a mess start or a rolling you'd, start. You'd have um, you'd have your Pros go off first, and then you'd have uh, a championship wave going second. Whether or not you need to divide that into waves would depend on how popular the idea is. So you'd have your pros, your championship starts, and then your um, completers uh, yep. or, or everyone else after that. And as Tony pointed out, if you wanted to be eligible for a championship um, uh, medal or, or placing, then you'd need to be in the championship wave. And I know that that's going to have the, uh, you know, for the first time athletes, they're kind of screwed. They can't really race for a championship position, but they'd have the opportunity to go and do a half Ironman or a 70.3 somewhere before that um, in terms of trying to get to that position. So I would I, like I, to see I, some head-to-head -head racing. I like that. I do think you have to have wave starts. 
Mm, yeah, just in terms for the championship fields. Highly likely. If it was popular, if you're going to get a hundred people racing, you don't. But if, yeah, if you were going to have a thousand people on the line, totally agree. And then you would do it wave starts. You would have uh, the different coloured swim caps, and you would have different coloured. Um, because if you want to be a true numbers. champion, although it would still be mixed up a little bit, but if you have wave starts, at least you know you've started with your field. Absolutely. Whereas if you're doing a mass start for the championship race, then. You know, it's a different game, isn't it? Yeah, but no, you need to identify people in your wave through swim caps on the, the swim, through race numbers or leg markings on the run, so you can have a really good idea where you're at. It just for me, everything's... If it's a champion, if they're calling it a championship race, let's make an effort to make it a championship race, not just for the pros, but for the age groupers as well. If they could invent technology, John, mm-hmm. which you wore an earpiece when you're running, or something kind of Google glasses yeah, or something, something like, like that. And it, it, you could see where everyone else was in the race. Hmm. Would you want to use that? Uh, yeah, I don't see re- any reason why not, as long as it's fair across the board. and everybody, yeah, everyone, everyone, like, like everyone gets here, their earpiece or whatever it is. Hmm. And you know the guy who's winning to cut the road from you, the guy's in second, 500 hmm. metres. It's fair. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't – it's not a big motivator for me, but it wouldn't bother me to have that information. Yeah, it would be a great motivator, wouldn't it? Well, I don't if you're having a, if you're sort of starting to fade a bit and you've got somebody coming up from behind, yeah, going, push oh, it. Oh, oh, <laughs> or it could have the reverse effects. So it would have its pros and cons. Well, that's what's really interesting about technology. Like, you know, technology in the last period of time has very much been better technology to move faster. So like better bikes, you know, and that kind of stuff. Um, better understanding about how what's happening in our training so we can make better decisions. Mm-hmm. But technology, and, and I suppose that then helps us in our racing, but technology hasn't really come into racing yet. You know, when we think about what technology could potentially be for racing, you know, imagine if you literally had like Google Class or something like that, and it was a screen just giving you information, you know, like you would do on a kind of a, a wind trainer session. Yep. Like, man, like, imagine what technology could bring to racing <laughs> 10, 20 years from now. Given they can't even get the athlete tracker working properly no, it's and, or live tracking, I think that might be some time off. I don't think that, I think the technology is probably there, but I think it would probably be some, some time off. Mm. What got me thinking about this week's topic was I was, I think I went on to try 247, good old John Levison uh, yep. on there, and saw a post about a triathlon over there selling out, and I thought, that's great, selling out for the, this is the Slate Man, selling out for the fifth year in a row, something like that. Got It's like 1,600 people, it's not a full distance race or anything like that, they have a sprint on one day, and then they have sort of a near Olympic distance race, a uh, thousand metre swim, 51k cycle through the heart of Snowdonia National Park, so it's pretty full on bike ride, and then you finish up with a breathtaking 11k trail run across the extended version of Saturday's quarry route. So um, I, what I was wondering, and, and the other thing that I looked at, the day before was the advance of these swim run events. I saw in France, Embrim, which where they had the Embrim Man Triathlon. Uh, there's going to be a swim run there, and there's a couple of other ones in France, and they're just get, all getting a, um, fairly extreme, going up and down hills and what have you. So, what do you guys think the future is of long course, sort of middle to long course triathlons? Is it just seemed to me that maybe we're going down this path of different sort of triathlons rather than your traditional wham bam thank you man flat fast courses some of them uh, there's plenty of those around but there just seem to be more and more of these challenging races is that the future of our sport or what do you think the future is of sort of medium to long course racing Mm. 
Yeah, exactly. Okay, we'll put it in the show notes and on the Facebook page, and you guys can go and comment on there. John, three, two, one, statistic. It's fantastic. So last year we had the German trifecta in the men's race, but it was not the first time. So what was the trifecta? I can't even remember it, John. Last, last year, year it yeah. was uh, Fredino one. Keenlay was second. Oh, you mean just as in, in Kona? Yep. Okay. And Patrick Lang I was you mean it was a race. Third. No. So, 1997 was the other time where we had a German trifecta with the Germans taking all top three spots. Thomas Hellriegel first, Jürgen Zach second, his highest ever placing in Hawaii, and Lothar Leder in third place. So I'm wondering if there has been any other years where we've had a domination like that. Obviously in the early years with um, Americans, they would have been crushing it probably till about Mark Jordan. Allen's sort of time, even before Mark Allen sort of started crushing it, there would have been other nationalities on the on the podium. Prior to that, you would have had American trifectas. But I wonder if there's been uh, Really? Times. So if we look at the guys, the, the American dominated the top three until 85. Mm-hmm. And then a Swiss, a Swiss, can you name him? Got third in 85. Swish. Swiss. Swiss. No. He swished into third. Yeah. Karl Kaffer Schmidt. No, don't know him. Then it was top three. Basically, up until the late 80s, America really dominated. Mm -hmm. Then the 90s, Mark Allen was dominating, but then other countries started to come in. And then from 95 onwards, American, other than Tim DeBoom, don't really exist in in the corner. Records yeah. and then the girls, girls Girl. came international very early. Yeah, girls, there's, there's there's not a lot of domination there by any one country. Canada used to do pretty well. They pulled a race under America for some years. It's got uh, Zimbabwe ninety one ninety two. Yeah, yeah. America ninety three. Maybe she did switch over. I'm not quite sure. She probably did for sponsors. Mm. Mm. So there you go. That's your stat for this week. The Germans have had two trifectas in Kona, nineteen ninety seven and twenty sixteen. Oh, not in 2015, if Reef was a, a POM, the POMs would have got it. <laughs> oh, God. You could do that a few times. <laughs> yeah. And then, oh, the year that Alexander and Pete Jacobs got second, two Australians got there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, there's been no other time other than this year. Okay, that's this week's statistic. Um, hit me with some music. Okay, here. hit you with some music. Here's some music. This is called the all-rounder. The all-rounder. The all-rounder. Okay, who's the best cricketing all-rounder of all time? Oh, God, who cares about cricket? Oh, come outs, on. Outs of the Commonwealth countries. Yeah, but come on. Jacques Callis. Oh, that's a good answer. Mm. He was pretty great. Statistically, he's the best, I think. Because he was amazing, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. And the great thing about Jacques Callis is he didn't look like much of a sportsman, did he? No, he was a baldy. And yeah, he was and he was just a big chunky. unit, but he could bowl and bat. Who's the best Kiwi all-rounder? Well, there's one that comes to mind straight away, but we... Cheat! <laughs> <laughs> Cheat! 
<laughs> Kiwis know who I'm talking about here. <laughs> anyway, this workout's called the All Rounder. It's a workout that I did last night with a couple of uh, fella, fellas with Tyrone. You keep talking. And, uh, I'm going to put up my run so it can be my workout of the week. Tyrone and the uh, the Philinator. And the objective is with this workout is you're sort of trying to tap most of your energy systems within one run. So I'm sort of going through that phase at the moment where where I've kind of got more and more key sessions are going to start to become more important. So for example, this week, you know, I'm doing a time trial on the bike and I've got a key ride at the weekend. So with my running, I'm just sort of looking for overall general conditioning, but trying to, with this one in particular, trying to tap quite a few different energy systems. Also, one of the key things for me is trying to load up and strengthen my quads. So in a perfect world, you know, when we're doing a run focus, you might take out the different components from this run and do them as all separate individual workouts. So the workout is we um, actually do 30 minutes of core before I start this workout uh, and that sort of helps a little bit with the warm-up process. Do a very short warm-up of around about one kilometre and then the, the main set is you start with two times two strides and what I mean by strides is you're doing 20 seconds uh, of fast running with a focus on really good technique tucking those legs over very very quickly so you're not sprinting but you're going very very quickly and then you have 40 seconds off so you're doing 20 seconds on 40 seconds off 20 seconds on 40 seconds off then stop after that second um, interval and then go into a squat and hold that squat for one minute just doing little pulses and the idea there is to just sort of load your legs up a little bit load your quads up a bit so when you start running which is the next part of the workout it kind of feels a little bit like you're coming off the bike your legs are burning a little bit and then you're off on the, the main part of the run we have a 3.1 kilometre circuit we, we use. Uh, it's probably got about nearly two kilometres of flat to start with around a river. And then we have a 400 metre climb, which is at around about a 7% gradient, and then uh, run down the other, the, the other side for roughly the same sort of distance. The effort I'm running at is uh, I'm going at 3 minute 45 per K pace, which is sort of what I call moderately hard to hard. So my 10K pace at the moment is around about 3 minute 30. So it's ballpark sort of half marathon pace um, uh, when, I'm, when I'm doing this. So you're working at a good firm effort, but it's only for 3.1Ks. The key thing with this um, circuit is that hill that's in there. So you're pushing the climb a bit harder, but for the most important part of this whole circuit is you're really drilling the downhill. So my average pace doesn't actually change through the three kilometres. So I'm going, you know, 3.45, 3.45, and then the third K is the one where it has the up and down, and I work so fast on the downhill that I'm able to keep that average pace. The reason for doing that fast downhill is it really helps to, to load up those quads. Um, Tyron, who came out for the first time last night to do the workout, called me the egg beater because <laughs> I just drilled him on the downhill. And uh, the key thing is you lean forward, let your arms go all spastic and, uh, and just let, let the gravity do its work. Lift your, lift your heels a little bit higher, um, lift your knees a little bit higher when you're out front and that just gives you that little bit extra air time which enables you to get really good speed and also increases that load on your quads a bit. So as I said, 3.1k circuit with a 400 metre climb up and then 400, roughly 400 metres down the other side and then we have a few hundred metres to the finish of the lap and then doing a, about a 200 metre recovery and then back into it again. So it's three times through that set. So two strides, so that's two minutes of work, 20 seconds on, 40 seconds off, twice through. A one minute pulsing squat. And as soon as you finish that, start straight into your run, 
quads are a little bit fatigued, you're running at you know, half marathon pace or maybe a little bit above, that, a little bit quicker than that. How long is your stride? Uh, 20 seconds on, 40 seconds off. Okay, yep. And then uh, and then at the end of that circuit, uh, you've got the hill up and down, 200 metres recovery, and then boom, back into it. Three times through, it took, me, it took us 59 minutes, I think, to do it last night. There'll be a link of the file on the show so notes So it's a good well. strength session. Yeah, good strength. Kind of gets everything. You know, you're getting a bit of leg speed work from doing the stride work, and uh, so sort of drill technique type stuff. Uh, gets you up on your toes. Some nice, solid, but not stupid paced running. A little bit of strength from the uphill, loading on the downhill, and then uh, and then your recovery. So you can get some, yeah, you know, as I said, you're tapping all the different energy systems, systems in a one-hour run. How's the body feeling? Uh, well, I didn't, yeah, it's just a little bit tight. I didn't stretch last night afterwards and because uh, I had to get ready for the show. Yep. And uh, so I'm just a little bit tender today, but it's fine. So it's one of those sessions. It's a firm session, but not crazy hard. If you did this off uh, running downhill fast without any general conditioning, you'd probably be suffering pretty badly. But to me, running downhill hard with good techniques actually better than running downhill slow with bad technique. Because mm. you know, so many people lean back and they stomp into the ground, whereas when you're running downhill and you're leaning into it, Sure, you you know you can get that impact up, but if you're clinging that pulling through as a hit foot as the ground and you're leaning into it, you can really. I think it's less demanding on the body. Mm. Just got, the main thing when you're downhill running to be careful of is, is not overstriding and landing out the front. Then you are increasing yeah. the load. Um, as long as you do that, um, as long as you don't do that, then you're all good. So it's a nice little workout that you can do. You know, at various stages during the year. So I'm what 12 weeks out and just using it as a bit of a loading exercise. Also, be good if you're running. How long's your long run right now? Uh, varies. I've done a, I've done one three-hour run. Uh, I'll be doing two hours tomorrow, so sort of two to two and a half with the odd three-one thrown in. Oh, you should run on Friday. Friday swim day. Uh, change your day. Rest, Friday. Restart for the weekend. You know. Um. Okay. Good stuff. Here we go. We've got an interview coming up with Gillian Aspen, and she's doing some research on mental health and athletes. So let's get straight into it. Go. Okay, guys, we've got um, Gillian Aspen on the show today. She is doing some research into mental health. So we're out there going to hopefully maybe recruit a few people for her to help with her study, but also focus a bit more on mental health because I know in New Zealand there was a really big focus on it. Um, we actually got a huge coverage of the London Marathon and uh, the royal family over there put, put, pushing a, a really yeah. big uh, yeah. effort on mental health. And it, we know that it's a, it's a bit of a taboo subject and uh, it's something we should speak a bit more. So yeah, we'll find out what Gillian's up to and also uh, maybe a few tips for you guys if you know people that are suffering or if you're suffering yourself. So welcome along to the show. Hello, good to be here. So tell us a bit about yourself in terms of um, your academic, what, you, what you're doing with your academics and, um, and sort of also whether you're into any sort of athletics yourself. So I'm a clinical psychologist um, and have been for 10 years or so and I work in adult mental health. Um, I spent a lot of years just doing a kind of run-of-the-mill therapy role, so just kind of seeing people for 20 sessions and trying to help them with whatever mental health problem they came along with. Um, I've recently just started a new job working with people with personality disorders. Um, I don't want to go too much into that because it's not necessarily relevant to the research, but I guess in a nutshell, it's people that really struggle with managing their emotional world and managing their relationships. Mm. And I job in the National Health Service. Nice. Um, so then I do that bit of the week. So then the other bit of the week, I'm now doing a master's in sports psychology. 
which is why I'm talking to you guys. Um, so yeah, I'm going to obviously go into what that research is all about. So that's my academic stuff. Sports-wise, uh, I do triathlon. Gotcha. Um, I've got no plans to do an Ironman because that sounds like a ridiculously long way. So <laughs> total respect to all of you people that get involved in that. Um, I probably started doing triathlon about eight years or so ago. And I probably followed the standard route of starting with some sprint triathlons, working up to standard distance. I've done a couple of middle distance triathlons, um, 70.3, and I've done one marathon. Um, so, yeah, that's about where I am. I'm not up there. I'm kind of mid-pack. Yeah. I'm not at the back, but I'm nowhere near the front. I'm all right at swimming and cycling, but running is bad. It's bloody hard to be out the front in the UK these days. Yeah, really hard. I tried <laughs> to qualify. I don't know why I bothered. I literally was 29th out of 30. <laughs> so, so your research, when you sent um, sort of the topic over to me, it's uh, looking at to see if there was two, two ways of conceptualising the precursors of mental health struggles such as anxiety and depression and how they're related. So part of that um, is what you term irrational, uh, irrational belief. So I, I guess I, I thought a good way to start would be if you can explain what irrational belief is from, from your standpoint of view. People might out there might have their own interpretations of that, but what, what do you mean when you're talking about irrational beliefs? So it kind of is what it says it is, really. It is a belief that is very fixed. It's very, the kind of fundamental irrational belief is sort of that of perfectionism, which kind of cuts across all of the different types of irrational beliefs. So it's about wanting something to be a certain way, and it has to be that way. There's no leeway, there's no flexibility, that it's a really rigidly held belief in, in whatever it is. So in the sporting arena, it could be, I have to win, or uh, I don't know, I have to get my 5K time under 20 minutes. Like there's just, it has to happen. Mm -hmm. So it's just this really fixed belief and kind of, and feeling that if that doesn't happen, that it's the end of the world, that it's just complete and utter devastation. Um, obviously, we can all be disappointed if we don't reach our goals, but it's the irrationality of it that it's not just disappointment, it's devastation. I mean, it's, it's, hard for, well, it's hard for me. Um, I don't have those irrational beliefs. Like, like you said, I've got pretty high goals and I really want to hit them. Um, but if I don't hit them, it's like, well, life goes on. But is that seeing those irrational beliefs in, in, in triathletes, is, is that relatively common? Um, the short answer is I don't know, actually. Hmm. Um, I guess I'll find out in a few months' time when I've <laughs> got lots of people telling me what they think about it. Um, you would imagine, you know, triathlon tends to attract pretty high-achieving people. I know in our triathlon club in Manchester... You know, there's lots of teachers and lawyers and doctors and people that are striving quite hard in their life 
so obviously they're striving in their sporting world as well so it does attract those people that will go out and work hard and and get what they want um but it's all about your appraisal of it and you you kind of thinking is this if I don't get it, is it the end of the world or will I try something else or there's always the next race or can you be a bit more philosophical about it or for some people it just feels like, yeah, it is the end of the world that that they're just terrible. And what is the the effect of that? So if I'm someone who's quite irrational and have this expectation that if I don't get whatever I'm setting out to get, basically my world implodes what what is the experience for that person when they don't get it so i mean at the moment obviously i've been reading lots of research on this and there is connections between particular types of irrational beliefs and for myself particularly looking for depression and anxiety and i guess more so the result of what we're talking about now would be depression that if somebody holds these irrational beliefs that say they've got to, I don't know, come top three in their age group in whatever race they're doing and they don't achieve that, that it's it's devastation that they would then feel that they are a failure as a person. You know, it kind of globalises out to everything in their life that people don't always just see it as, well, it's only about my performance on that day in that race and it might be different on another day, that they that it's irrational so they don't have that rational way of looking at it that for them it's I'm a terrible person you know I'm useless I'm rubbish you know I can't do anything and then that kind of generalizes out into the rest of their life and brings their mood down Mm. so they then might start you know thinking about other things that have gone wrong or, or other areas of their life that might be not as they would like them to be either it kind of snowballs so the the other part of um, what you're looking at in terms of the precursors for mental health struggles is schemas. So can, yeah. you, make, can you sort of explain what, what that is? So a schema, I would say maybe that an irrational belief is part of a schema. So a schema is a kind of lifelong, quite global <coughs> pattern of thinking and feeling and behaving. Um, so they start when we're young you can kind of think of them as character traits or personality traits maybe um, that we're all born with our own temperament some you know babies crying a lot and need a lot of picking up and others are fine just to lay there and they're okay Um, and if you're a baby that needs picking up a lot and you get that then that's fine then that means that your environment is meeting your need so if you don't get that, then your environment doesn't really meet your needs. And there's kind of, you know, there's a lot of variation in between. Um, so all kids have all these, you know, across the world, all have the same needs for kind of safety and nurturing and boundaries and play and imagination and all of that kind of stuff. So if all of those needs in all, in all different areas are roughly met, you know, none of us get perfect parenting and that's fine. So if they're roughly met, then we'll be okay. If they're not met, we've got to find a way to cope with that deficit and what it feels like to not be getting what we've kind of got a sense that we need. We wouldn't be able to describe it as kids, but we just kind of know that there's something not quite right. Um, 
so the ways that we develop to cope with that um, kind of become these schemas. So an example would be if you say you're a kid that, you know, you're quite sensitive, you kind of need a lot of reassurance and I don't know, you might be, I think I was a bit like this. I kind of cried quite a lot as a kid and need a lot of hugs and people around me. And if you don't get that, you, you might kind of, I guess some people go one of two ways that you'll either cry and cry and cry and even more until you get it. Or you might just stop crying because you think, well, no one's going to come. No one's going to help me. No one's really going to do anything. So there's no point. Um, that's a big generalization. But just to mm. give you an idea of all of these different things that we need. And if we don't get it, we find a way to deal with that. Um, so say we go down the road of not really looking to people if we're upset because we've learned that people aren't going to be around. Then when we get to adulthood and say, I don't know, then we get married and have a family. And then if there's something going on in our lives that we're struggling with, that we keep it to ourselves and we don't talk to our partner and then nobody really knows that there's something going on with us and we're really struggling, but we're not letting anybody help us because of these childhood experiences of there not being anybody to help us. But now when you're in a completely different situation with completely different people who might be really wanting to help you, but you're not really giving them the chance because your experience is that people don't do that. Mm. Does that make sense? It does, yeah. Yeah. So, so that gives us sort of, sort of the background of, of, um, of what you're doing. So maybe now explain the, the, the actual research that you're doing and what you're hoping to achieve. So the bottom line for me is, so after I finished my clinical psychology training, I then trained as a schema therapist. Um, so it's this it's the therapy approach that I use all the time in my NHS work um, with people with mental health problems. So when I started doing the sports psychology masters, I thought there's got to be an application for it in sport. It just seemed so to me kind of obvious that one of the schemas is called unrelenting standards. It's the same as perfectionism. You know, sports people, I imagine lots of them are perfectionists. There must be a way to pull it all together. Um, so I started looking into it and then um, one of the lecturers on the course that I'm on at Staffordshire University, um, or quite a few of the lecturers actually, use um, rational emotive behaviour therapy, which is the that's where the irrational beliefs, that's the, the name mm. of the therapy that, that looks at irrational beliefs. Um, so we chatted about it a bit and thought, they must go together. It kind of seems like like I said earlier, that an irrational belief would be part of a schema, that if you've had all of these life experiences and you've got these certain expectations, that irrational beliefs could be part of that. Like I might think my husband's never going to listen to me, but he would, but I've got an irrational belief that he wouldn't because of my experiences when I was younger, um, for example. So I've started to look at the different irrational beliefs there's four different ones in this theory, but they're all based on perfectionism, demandingness, they call it. Um, so which irrational beliefs relate to depression and anxiety and which of the schemas relate to depression and anxiety? Um, so I've got a bit of a diagram of the expected results that or hoped for, yeah, that unrelenting standards may be going to relate to depression, maybe demandingness going to relate to depression. Um, there's other, I'm not going to kind of go into all the different names of them, yeah. but 
so yeah so if those relationships are shown I can then think right okay so if they all relate to depression and anxiety then how do schemas and irrational beliefs fit together so if you've got a say you've got a schema that relates to anxiety and then if you put the and one of the irrational beliefs in the middle of those two does that make that relationship stronger so does the irrational does putting the irrational belief into that equation make the relationship between the schema and, and anxiety for example stronger and if it does that then that shows you that the irrational belief is part of that process of leading to depression you can't show cause and effect because we're just measuring it at one point in time um, but it starts to then give you also another option for working with athletes so rational emotive behavior therapy is starting to get used quite a bit and there's some outcome measure, outcome studies that are showing that it's effective but to my knowledge schema therapy hasn't been used at all mm. so if these relationships are shown then i think it, it gives you a good enough reason to think okay let's try schema therapy with some athletes and then that gives athletes a choice of what therapy to use not everybody wants to use the same therapy if that's what they need then so it, it gives people a choice of what they want to do so, so what's your um in terms of your end game when you've finished this you obviously you, you present your research findings is this going to be something that's um more for other clinicians around the the world who are dealing with athletes saying try this approach that approach or is there going to be some more generic advice you can you know share with the the whole community and people can sort of take on on board individually or is it more in a sort of clinical setting um i guess it's more aimed towards other clinicians um and as i said then it gives clinicians well it gives athletes a choice of what therapy they want which they have already there's obviously more than one therapy out there but it gives another it adds in another choice um it also gives people that are already using schema therapy it opens that up to a whole other group of people that they might not have thought about working with um, I guess the application of schema therapy is for athletes that have got not necessarily diagnosable but some kind of mental health struggles that are going on they're kind of feeling that there's something they need help with um, and I think some therapies, if, if you're talking about something that's really been around maybe your whole life, something that you've struggled with for a long time, if it is more of a character trait, some therapies will be less effective because they would be a bit more surface level. I'm thinking of CBT, cognitive behavior therapy. People out there might, might well have heard of that. It's one of the most popular therapies. Um, whereas schema therapy kind of just takes it down a level and helps you to think on a bit more kind of a deeper level a more a level of where that it isn't just about your irrational beliefs it's about your feelings it's about your experiences it's about your past and how does all of that affect your approach to races and your sport you know how does it get um triggered if a race doesn't go well or you're still at the start line and you're on the verge of a panic attack because you're worried so much about what the result's going to be. Um, so I think it just gives clinicians another alternative to how to work with the athletes that they're working with. Well, one thing 
the other thing I've experienced over the years is people who have issues, but they think their issues is the reason they're successful, and in some ways they don't want to let go of the issue because if they let go of the issue, what are they letting go of, and does that mean they're not going to be successful? Um, is that something you experience? You know, I know you're just kind of digging into the sporting world right now, but is that something you experience in your everyday work, and is that something you think you'll probably come up with athletes? Not so much in my everyday work, but there is a reasonable sized body of research on perfectionism in athletes and whether it's actually, is it detrimental or is it helpful? Like exactly what you're saying, that if somebody, oh, I kind of use perfectionism as a really massive wide term, but if somebody sees that kind of striving, striving, you know, if they didn't have that really driven focus on those goals. They wouldn't be getting up at six in the morning to go training. You know, they wouldn't do all of the things that makes them successful. Mm. So there is quite a view that actually sometimes perfectionism, whatever you want to call it, is helpful because it pushes people towards their goals. It's, it makes them successful. Um, but then on the other side of that, I guess thinking about the irrational beliefs that it's then down to how you interpret it, it that you can strive without being devastated if something doesn't go quite how you wanted it to be. Um, that you can be, I don't know if this sounds like a contradiction in terms, but you can be a perfectionist. If you're a perfectionist, but your beliefs aren't completely irrational, then maybe you're a striver, you know, you're working really hard and you're getting those goals. Um, but, but you're able to cope with the setbacks. Whereas if you've got that kind of maladaptive, dysfunctional perfectionism that has to be that certain way at all costs, then that's you, you're going to struggle more. You're going to find that harder. So so who are you looking to recruit? You know, How many people? What, what, what's the sort of process of, of you gathering uh, subjects? So I need a, quite an optimistic total of 190 Mm -hmm. um, I've still got six weeks left of data collection so there's still a reasonable amount of time I've got 64 people so far that have completed so it's a questionnaire based study it's an online questionnaire mm -hmm. um, and so far I've got 64 people that have gone all the way through to the end so I still need 130-ish a bit less mm -hmm. um, so hopefully you know hopefully coming talking to you guys about this stuff will get it out there and people will be interested to fill it in and you don't get results from it, so it's not going to, you know, it's not like a personality test, you know, these things that pop up in Facebook or on the internet or whatever. It's not going to tell you what kind of person you are, but you probably know most people have got an idea of what kind of person they are anyway. Um, and when you're filling in the questionnaire, it's asking you these kind of questions about striving and perfectionism and how you, and how you kind of, your rational beliefs in sport and kind of what you think about when things go right and wrong. Um, so, you know, even just filling it in can help you to think about your approach and is there anything, you know, in answering the questions, some people might think, oh, yeah, I do do that. I thought I didn't, but actually, yeah, I do. So then it might just throw up things for people to think about whether they want to stay like that or whether they want to think about being a bit different. And you wouldn't need professional help to do that. It's something you can just think about yourself. And, you know, we probably changing the way we think about things all the time on, on quite a low level. Mm -hmm. What about what what type of people should be going and doing this? Are you, are you looking for just 
athletes or are you looking for athletes that have had mental struggles or feel that they have mental struggles but maybe haven't been diagnosed? So what sort of people should be doing the filling in the questionnaire? So very ironically, people that have or would consider themselves to have a mental health problem are excluded from the study. And I wanted to include them, but the reason for the exclusion is purely for ethical reasons. That if people are already struggling, that filling in questionnaires that are asking them more about it could potentially be harmful in some way. Um, And because it's an internet study and it's going hopefully, you know, people around the world, that there's no way of directly helping those people if they're struggling. Um, So purely to protect people, um, that people who consider themselves to have mental health problems are excluded. There's questions at the beginning of whether you, you know you ask your age. So people that are under 18 are excluded. Um, so if people tick those boxes, then it just kicks people out of the questionnaire and doesn't allow you to go through it. Mm. Um, I'm looking for people who see themselves as competitors. So it is subjective. It's not about how fast you are or what times you get or or kind of you know whether you've got a gold medal or you've come first in your age group or anything like that but it's about people who race to compete Mm -hmm. and that they do see themselves as competitive as opposed to just taking part Mm -hmm. so I guess you know when I've I mean (laughs) the funny thing is that I wouldn't qualify for my own study Mm. because I would see myself as somebody who just takes part that I'm not at the competitive end of the race I'm in the middle mm. so it's aimed at the people that are more at the business end of the race mm. but that's a subjective you know people will have ideas of whether they are or they aren't and that's fine it's it's a subjective thing before we go on to just a couple of other sort of generalized questions is there anything else you want to say about the research or the study you're doing or, or anything else um I guess it'd be interesting to uh, maybe through you, I don't know, would be to let people know the results and what's found yeah, and absolutely. how that kind of might help people in the future. I've said a bit about that today, but it, obviously it's all just guessing at the moment until I know the results and what happens. Yeah. So it would be good, you know, for the, all the people who I don't know who any of them are, because it's completely anonymous, that have taken part in the research, it would be good to give them some feedback. Absolutely. At some point. Mm. So, guys, we'll we'll get a, a link from Gillian and to, and put it on uh, the show notes and also probably on social media um, to to get it out there. So, this stuff will be you know there's so much um, so many mental health issues out there that I think any way we can help yeah. as a community would be fantastic. So, get involved, guys. Um, we've got some general general questions. Um, you know, obviously, as, as I said, there's this huge. Num- well, I, I, I experienced a lot more people with mental health issues than I had anticipated when I s- first started coaching. But have you got any generic advice for people that are, do feel like they're on, on the, the verge of suffering or they are suffering? You know, is it a case of just going and seeing a clinician or is there any sort of generic advice you can give to people, which I know is hard to do when everybody's going to have their different schemas and different irrational behaviours, but just some, some steps people can take to, to try to get the help that they might need? Yeah, I guess it depends on the level, kind of how much you feel like you're struggling. Um, if it does feel something that's really getting to the point where it's affecting your life, 
then I would say, you know, go and see your general practitioner, your doctor, get a referral um, to a mental health professional. It could be a clinical psychologist or a CBT therapist or or whoever. Um, you know, if people don't want to have that on their records, then obviously there's private therapists out there as well. People might have private health insurance or, you know, there's a different ways that you can access professionals. Um, if it feels like it's a bit of a lower level than that, that you that people out there might not feel like they're quite at the point where they need help or they might not want to access that help um, or they might just feel that they do have the resources to do something about it themselves. Um, oh, where to start? I know the internet can be a bit of a minefield, but there is a lot of really brilliant stuff on the internet. I would say that anything that's based in cognitive behavioral therapy is going to be helpful. Um, mindfulness is a really big thing at the moment so that's about trying to be in the moment and focusing on what you're doing and if thoughts which they will do if thoughts of maybe the irrational beliefs start coming in you know you start worrying about what's going to happen in a race or you know just could be anything in your life it doesn't have to be to do with sport if these thoughts start piling into your head then mindfulness is just about accepting them being there but you don't have to pay attention to them and you can move their, your attention back onto whatever you're doing. Mm. So I think I probably run mindfully. I've had quite a lot of injuries over the years, so I tend to focus on my posture and think about my breathing and, and you know how my feet are hitting the floor and are my hips in the right place. And I think by doing that, I'm completely in the moment. Mm. So if other stuff comes into my head, it doesn't really stay there very long because then I'm back to thinking about how I'm running. So that can be helpful, not just in sport, but in life to help people's heads to quieten down and not be too busy. Mm. I think we're all busy, busy with thoughts flying around all the time. So mindfulness can be really useful. Um, but what about, for, if, you know, if, if I go for the, this example of, um, you know, again, again, a guy that I coach who's, who's um, got a son who's, who's suffering from mental issues, what are some of the, th the things you can do from, a, from an outsider's point of view in terms of trying to help people that are suffering? Um, mm. There's some sort of things that you'd suggest not doing and uh, maybe some suggestions on other than obviously going and getting some clinical help. Is there other things that people can be doing to, to help those people that are suffering? Yeah. So I would say you talked earlier about um, the Prince William and Harry and Kate, all of the stuff around the mindfulness and the heads together um, charity and their basic message was just for us all to talk to each other and I just think that's the best thing that anybody can do really that if there's somebody suffering or struggling in some way to just listen to what they have to say to just allow them to speak freely to not judge them to not even offer an opinion unless they ask for it they might want your thoughts but really it's just about allowing people to speak openly about whatever is on their mind and some people not might not really be able to do that they might be embarrassed or, or they just aren't ready to so then it's just about letting those people know that you're there and that if they ever do want to talk that you are ready to listen and you're just gonna be there and support them um, so I would say to do that I would say to what not to do um, which I think can actually be quite easy to do is to get into arguments over it that, you know, we all have our opinions on how best to help our, you know, if it's people that we coach or if it's a friend or, or a family member, we're all going to have opinions on what's going to be helpful for other people. 
but they might not be in that place or they might think something else is going to be helpful. So I think it's about respecting where they're at and their opinion um, and, yeah, trying not to get too heated over it. Uh, maybe one other thing for those who are listening who may identify with this is that don't hold it in. And often the problem for us athletes are we're perceived as successful people, we're perceived as strong people. To show yeah. to show weakness is a real downfall because we don't want to break that perception that we've built around ourselves. And so in a yeah. time of weakness, we hold it in because we're fearful of how our perception will be changed. But actually that yeah. just isolates us even more, doesn't it? Absolutely. And then if you're struggling, particularly with depression, that would just make your depression worse. Yeah. Because the more isolated you get, the more your beliefs, you know, your thoughts kind of run away within your head and it spirals and it seems worse and you don't talk about it and it just, it snowballs. Yeah. Um, so, but, so, yeah, I think the last thing to do would be to isolate yourself. So, there was so, something else you just said. I was going to say something else. I can't remember your other point that you just made. Um, he's got so many good points. Oh, even he's just in <laughs> so what, so what, many good things to say. Yeah. So what's the process for you now? Obviously, you, you've got this window where you're you're gathering subjects and gathering the information. How long does yep. then uh, does this all take to come together? So I've set myself the date of around about the twentieth of June um, to stop collecting data, and then I have to start number crunching. Um, so then I need to kind of clean up all the data and make sure it's going to kind of go through the stats package properly and there's not going to be any messiness to it. So that will probably take a couple of weeks and then I'll do the analysis. And it's funny because you spend so long collecting all of the data and reading all of these papers. And then when you do the analysis, you just click a button and ping, the results come up really quickly. Mm. Um that's assuming I've learned how to do the statistical package by then. So that's my next task is to learn the, to learn the computery bits. So that should all be done by about mid-July and then just finish writing it up, um, writing up the findings and what I think about them and how they relate to the literature that's out there and, and yeah, making kind of, you know, recommendations for how it could be helpful clinically or, or with people in sport. So it needs to be in, it's got to be in in September, um, 5th of September, day etched on my mind. So yeah, it'll all be done and dusted by then. Fantastic. Oh, no, we guys do get involved in this. As I said, it's an area we can all uh, help and do our two cents worth. And we look forward to hearing the results later in the year. We're back, John. Interesting discussion. Great stuff. I mean, it's awesome that there's a way we can actually try to help in this area often we all just sit there and go what do we do you know yeah. we, I think we all must know people that have some degree of well, mental well, problems the, the scarier thing is we probably know so many people who have it who, who we don't know mm. you know because so many people don't don't reach out mm -hmm. you know and, and it's Oh, it's sad. So this is one way you guys can help. So get involved. Now, Gillian did, um, didn't say when we spoke to her, it takes around about 15 minutes to complete. Um, she wanted to reiterate that it is completely anonymous. One thing that she said that, because um, they can tell if people are going through and they pull out at different stages of filling in the questionnaire, there's one part where you need to put in your date of birth and was it the number of siblings? I think yeah, it was, or something yeah. like that. It's just basically a confirmation. It's, 
it, it's it's a, it's a, it's basically it gives them a tracking number. If, so if you want to pull out at a later stage, so yep. once you filled it in, saying oh, I don't actually want to do that anymore, then they've got an easy way to find who you are because it's an anonymous um, anonymous. Uh, survey, sure, then they can go back and you can they can say to you, what's your date of birth? What's your how many siblings, siblings have you got? Yeah. They can go find your information and and pull it out. So guys, get involved. As I said, fifteen minutes. It is completely anonymous. You do have to put that date of birth in there and um, and whatever it else asks you. But get involved and let's see if we can uh, help out. And one thing for those people, because I, I I haven't had much depression in my life, but I did have a moment in my life where I had depression, and it was minor. Mm. You know, but I did have it. And um, and one thing that was really interesting of my experience of it, for me, my depression was very much a a feeling inside my body. So there was a self-talk and all the rest of it, but it was, it was like a stomach feeling for me. And I remember when I had it, I thought to myself, if it gets worse, I'll say something about it. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's not the approach, you know, that we we need to, you know, as Gillian was saying, that actually you're talking and just opening up about it and... You know, because when you actually open up about it, you discover so many people are just like you mm-hmm. and it allows you to kind of work through your problems. Whereas, as she was saying, if you don't talk about it or if you kind of just suppress it, it actually makes it a bigger thing. And is that kind of, when I was in that place, I remember just thinking, oh, just, if it gets worse tomorrow, I'll do something about it. Mm-hmm. And that attitude is not the kind of attitude you want to have. If you, if you know deep down you're in a place which is just not right for you, Reaching out and using your support networks and people you know you can trust and love you is a really important thing to do. So don't be afraid to do it. Absolutely. Jombo, sponsor. Athlinks.com. Yes, tell me about your rivals. I love, love the rivals part of the site because um, you can go in here and, you know, especially for me, I'm going to have quite a good win-loss record against most people. Yep. Um, that's why you love it. But That's why I love it. But then, then you can find out, I just found Mike Phillips on here, um, who is now a very good uh, iron distance racer. Well, he's done one iron distance race, but been a very good okay, so let's have a look. race. But, um, Newsom versus Phillips, how's that going? It's actually going quite good because he hasn't updated it for a few years. Oh, okay. And we probably haven't raced for quite some time, but I've got a... It's uh, all right, isn't he? Uh, yeah, five, five wins, uh, six losses against him. But uh, you can go back and... and with any of your people that you're following on there, you can go back and compare where they're at. And if it happens to be a friend that you know you're not, you know, you might either, either crush them all the time or they might crush you all the time or you might have a bit of a back and forth um, uh, sort of finish relationship, you could also actually go and just your friends and actually go back and try to remember some of their results. So I can go back and look at all Mike's results and uh, and see. As fast as 5K is pretty good, 1540. Mm-hmm. Oh, he's quicker than that. Yeah, he, I, yeah he's. I, I remember we had to do a, a time trial once. I was timing, and he went. Uh, I think he went fifteen fifteen or something like that. So are the relays accurate? Because he's got some thirteen. No, the relays aren't accurate. Okay. Yeah, but then I can go in here, and as I said, uh, my win loss record against Mike, I can hit the and go into my rivals, hit the little plus button, and uh, where did it go? It disappeared on me. So then we, you know, I can look at Mike's examples. Granted, he was racing when he was in the 15 to 19 age group in, in 2008. <laughs> that was a few years ago. So you pulled it when you beat him when he was like 15. Yeah. Good on you, mate. Good on you. <laughs> and I did 45.36 and he did uh, 46.06. So I beat him by 30 seconds there. And then a year later in the uh, 2009, I only beat him by five seconds. Did 43.07. He did 43.12. He won the Christmas and, cricket. Uh, we won't. Oh, and then... And then yeah, then after that, he's got a bit better. 2013, advanced a few years. He beat me by 15 and a half minutes at the uh, South Island Half Ironman. 
What's cool is they have sometimes, like for your 5K, they, they say, okay, you did 5K and they'll give you average pace and all that kind of information as well. So, ethlinks.com. I'm also looking here on Sean O'Porno, Peter McLeod, um, Nadine Voice, and, and again, would have beaten most of those guys in quite a few of the occasions, but can go in and go, oh, that's the. Yeah, no, just, you what you should do is take a screenshot, send it to them, and just say, in your face. <laughs> There's motivation, mofo. Exactly. You know, just say, who is the best? Facts show. There you go, Nadine Voice. Up and up. You need to beat John once in your lifetime. Just kneecap him. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, uh, ethlinks.com. Jombo, who's the winger of the week this week? Okay, let's get random.org up. How's your week of training been, Bevan? Good. I'm running well. Running really well. That run on Saturday was great. I had a nice Mm -hmm. long run on Friday. Ran 25Ks um, going up Kennedy's Bush. Mm -hmm. Um, Four runs a week. I'm, I'm, I'm basically just getting a pace. Then we're going to go on holiday for six weeks. So... You know, I'm not going to plan to run too much on holiday. I don't, I don't want to be one of those guys whose holiday is consumed by a sporting goal. So I'm just going to chill on holiday, then come back, and then think about my marathon after that. But it's good. Injury-free. That's a nice thing. This week we're looking at the speedster, the highest speed on the bike. Okay, here we go. Whoa. That can't Nick be right. Bus. One fourteen k's an hour. Said not possible. Why, why, why not? Maybe it's... You don't get a name like Bus without powering it down the road. Okay, look into this. We, you read out the other two. Okay, well, Thomas, is that Tumas? Tumas? You roll with what you're happy Kos with. Kos Kinnan. Kinnan. Kos A got 103. And then good old Glenn Jarvis got 90 k's an hour. That's pretty quick, John. It's headwind, then rain is the title of this one. What are you doing? I'm, I'm looking at the particular file that... Uh, oh, you've gone and looked at, it, at the ride? Yeah. Well, oh, let's see if we can stalk you. Average speed, 27.7 kilometres per hour. Elapsed time, one hour. Maximum, 114.3. Yep. If that is correct, I am highly, highly impressed. It must have been pretty steep downhill. Yeah, that's serious. It looks like a pretty flat ride. Okay. Maybe the, sometimes Garmin's have 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 some uh, some tweaks that that need. Tony Hodge, sixty six, good old Joe Combe, she's fifty nine, and good old oh how do you say that one? She's that she's that ex athlete, remember for the Olympian, um, Zint Zint Cat. I know I know you listen to the week every show every week, and Margie I know you, Zikans. Margie is that how you say it? Yeah, so Tony Hodge took it out sixty six, Joe Combe fifty nine. And Margie Zekant, 59 kilometres per hour on the girls. That all sounds pretty accurate. Then we had Nick Russ, uh, Nick Bus, 114. Very impressive. Thomas Koskinen, 103. Also, if you crack the hundy, man, that's you've got scary. Some balls. That is. What's the fastest you've ever gone? I've got about a hundy. I, I don't know if I've cracked the hundy, but I've certainly got into the 90s. Did you know you were there and were you shitting yourself? Yeah, at that stage, you're not really looking down that much. No. Yeah. But I, I don't know if I've... Was it smooth roads? It would, Evans Pass would probably be the quickest place. That, that I've got into the 90s. Mm. Glenn Gervais was third. He's Ricky's brother. Four. Ricky's brother. <laughs> yep. yep. Impressive speeds there this week. Nice work, guys. There you go. It's this week's wanger of the week. Uh, Maybe we should do 30-30 every week. 33rd this Ma- week. Mark Cullen. 14 hours and 24 Good effort. 12 activities. Excellent. Good work, Mark. I'm never going to win. I've discovered, John. You know why I'm never going to get there? I don't bike. Yeah. Biking's the key. But are you putting it? You must be doing more than, you must be doing, what, 15 hours or so of exercise no. if you include all your the classes? Well, let's think about it. Monday, I do two hours. Tuesday, I do an hour and a half. You, you add up. Yeah. 
Wednesday, I'm now doing two, two and a half. Thursday, two. Friday, two to two and a half. Saturday, 45. And then Sunday, 90. You're getting up to about sort of 13. Yeah. Pretty all, all high intensity, but John. Yeah, absolutely. All high intensity. Quality. That's all I do is high intensity. Um, you know what? I am feeling fit. Because I haven't felt, you know, like, I'm always fit. But mm. in this last few months, I've just, A, had consistency with injury-free, which has been really nice. Um, and you just have these runs, like my that run I did on Saturday, you know, I just I just felt good. And, mm-hmm. I, and I went into the run going, I want to push hard today. Push hard from the start, hold it the whole run, you know, just get back to that level, which Absolutely. is really nice. So, so it's good. I love it. Um, Jombo. Patrons. Patrons. Actually, you might have a couple of questions. So you keep, okay. you do the patrons. Chris, I'll see if I've got any questions. Combustor Apple. Combustor Apple. <laughs> <laughs> Brett Wa-Chan. Yeah, that's Ian good. Ian Powerhouse Robertson. Douglas, the speed merchant, Patton Jones, and Victor Machina Vorebiev. So thank you guys for being patrons of the show. It helps us to do what we do and helps us get to Kona every second year and helps one of our lucky listeners uh, get to Kona every once every second year as well. So get on board, guys, if you enjoy the show and it's a fun part of your week, um, get on board. Five bucks a week allows you to become a patron. Ten bucks, you get a fantastic I Am Talk swim cap. And 20 bucks gets a cap and a icebreaker merino I Am Talk branded beanie. So get Por- well. Porno sent me through this video of the breaker. Wanaka, have you seen that video? No, not yet. It's pretty cool. Melina's talking. Melina's such a good talker. Mm-hmm. He just talks and he says wise crap. Mm-hmm. You know? Good. It's very good. Melina, stop being so good at everything. Anyway... Hey, Melina was good and really good, and I'm, I'm slightly inspired, John. Yes. I haven't checked it out to Porno. I haven't heard back from him badly. Yeah. So maybe we should do it next year. What's the swimming like compared to yours? We're pretty similar, actually. That's good too. Well, we're in the back in the day, when I was at my peak of Ironman, I'm probably a little bit better than him, mm. but I think he's a sub 60. Yeah. You know, and so, and, you know, if I'm not going to be back to what I was as an Ironman, mm. so we'd be pretty good. And you're close enough in runnability. Yeah, totally. I mean, you're a bit quicker than him, but yeah, not but by crazy no. amount. No, no and, and it'd just be a cool, fun event. Like, mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't be care to be that competitive. It'd just be something cool to do together. So, and if you watch Melina's video, yeah. he explains it to you. He, he likes just to be outdoors. He feels you've got to be outdoors in life. And nice. He was gold. So, I'm going to put that into the show notes videos this week, John. Excellent. Jonbo, sponsors. Athlinks.com. Social networking for endurance athletes. And extreme Your lactic buffer. And our patrons. <laughs> and our patrons. I was just looking for a photo I can send you for the website as well. This is quite a good one from the from the walk. Good look. Do send it. I'll do it next week. Oh, yeah. Looks like fun. We're a little bit weird. <laughs> okay, John, watch your goss. You, you went on a walk. I went to the gym yesterday. Two things about Belinda this week, John. Yes. I went to the gym yesterday morning and I go, oh, how was your trip? Because she said I just got back. And she said the weather was good for me. And I thought, what does that mean? Yeah. And it turns out you went on a walk with family. She didn't want to go. Nice. And she got great weather. And what did you guys get? We got one day of sensational weather. One day, yeah, it was pretty ordinary. And one day, not too bad. One day, pretty good. So we, uh, yeah, Able Tasman, can't recommend it highly enough, for, 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 especially for families. So we took our kids, me and a mate took our kids. I've got Felicity, who's just turned eight, Thomas, who's uh, just turning 10 shortly, and he had three girls with him who are nine, 
10 and 14. And uh, granted, they're all re- pretty fit kids, yeah. but they all coped uh, admirably. They were all carrying packs as well, um, not not heavy, heavy packs, but they all got through it. Pretty, It's, you know, it's challenging enough. There's some hills in there, but it's also very well laid out. And uh, the kids had a ball, despite it raining on the second day for, you know, for a good f- uh, three to four hours of walking. They loved it. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, first day we did twenty. Do you play games? We play the uh, walking games, you know, like. Oh yeah, she, one of the girls was incredibly good on uh, countries in Africa. Oh, well, no, really? countries around the world. Country beginning with, I can't even remember the name of the country now. Beginning with B in Africa because it's all been divided into these like countries. John, don't even. She named countries all over the place, and I said I have literally. Geography is oh, a strong point for me. Never heard of that country in my life. Are oh, you good with geography? Are you? Yeah. Oh, I'm terrible. Yeah. So we played all. Sorts Joe's of good. We Joe Joe will pull out the atlas. Mm-hmm. We've got an atlas in our lounge. Yeah. And just occasionally we'll be talking about something. Joe pulls out the atlas. Nice. Jesus. Yeah, I do like a bit of geography. The other thing I got, Belinda, I got an email saying she's a legend. Oh no, that was a test for me to see. I'm disappointed in the listeners, Bevan. Disappointed in the listeners. Although we did get it, my first try. We did? Today. We need, we need some people, we need some age groupers of the week. So Kiwis, pick up your game. We've had Ironman New Zealand, we've had Challenge Wanaka. I'm in Australia this I'm weekend. In Australia. We need some age groupers of the week. So that was a test to make sure our new website was actually well, What working. was really lovely is that you said Belinda is a legend. Yeah. Belinda yes. has got age group of the week. Belinda Newsom. Why? She is awesome. You need to you <laughs> put this on tonight because I tell you what, you're Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> you live in hope. Anyway, Abel Tasman, we did uh, over 20Ks on the first day. I think it was about maybe 22. Pulled up to the first hut and all these parents going, oh, where, where did you guys come from today? And we said, and they, oh, that took us two days. So they were <laughs> most impressed with our kids. Nice. Second day, I think we did about 13Ks. And then the last day uh, it was basically just a morning walk for about sort of seven to seven to eight Ks to, to get out. Uh, and it was good times. Even the crap weather, kids... Just trucked on, no problems. Just beautiful scenery all through there, and short enough that you know, two and a half days for us, you sort of, boom, 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 job done, and uh, and you're out of there. Could if it dragged on, you know, if it went in for another day, you know, just starts to drag on. Carried the cricket bat all the way around. My friend ridiculed me the whole way around. I wow. borrowed the borrowed the holy hammer, um, his pack, this big, I think it was a seventy liter pack. It was full of the brim. I was doing I was doing some additional loading uh, for the whole work. I c- carried everything. I had this big frying pan. You know, you see people get. Did you use the cricket bat? We did. Okay. Was it one of those situations where you were like, "We are playing cricket"? Yeah. No, it was a plastic one. It wasn't a proper one. <laughs> okay. And uh, I was car- I had to carry this big fry pan. And you see people c- get out at night with their little camping fry pans, and we just pulled out this big kahuna that. God knows how much it weighed. I carried everything and the kitchen sink. And my friend, he had one set of clothes for his girls for the entire three days. And I had like about 10 different things for the kids to wear. So he was ridiculing me. But we used everything that I carried. I had like three sets of cards, Monopoly deal. Uh, Monopoly deal's quite fun, isn't it? Monopoly deal's good. Had a bit of speed patience going on. Plenty of last card. So What's your favourite card times. game? Uh, 500's always good oh, I had a game of 500 good. a couple of weeks ago With my friend and their mm. kids We took it out Nice Love 500 so One time years ago First ever endurance thing I ever did It wasn't Literally it was like I was at the gym And my, me and my, my partner at the time Raylene We decided we were going to bike to Akaroa mm-hmm. And this is This is Well before this life You yeah. know It was just like well, Let's bike to Akaroa and then a guy called Duncan, who ended up becoming a good mate because of that, came up to me. I told my class we're going to bike to Akaroa this weekend. Mm-hmm. He said, "Okay, well, 
you know, I'll come with you. And so sweet. So I thought, me being a tight ass, I'm, I'm taking a tent. <laughs> so I, I'd pay take her off this tent. And it was heavy as a mofo, but also the, the poles. So I had to rub oh, my head down poles. like this yeah. the whole way. Did we stay in the tent, John? No, stay in the backpackers. Yeah. So that was a waste of time, I tell you. Yeah. yeah. So tips for the Able Tasman. Um, get The way we did it was perfect. Doing the big day, medium day, short day. And then you get the ferry all the way back, which is fantastic. Um, be prepared for any different eventualities. Such a beautiful. To me, it's best my my favourite place in the world. If it says it's going to rain, it probably is going to rain, yeah, and well you may want to. If someone if someone gives you a pack liner to put inside the pack to keep things dry, rather than leaving that at home, going we'll be fine. Might who who gave the pack liner? The holy hammer. Uh. So I'm not going to need that. Uh, <laughs> things got a little bit wet. And uh, so listen, listen to the holy hammer. Listen to the holy hammer. You, you carried the cricket bat the whole time. You didn't put the pet liner in. And be ready for all the potential river crossings. We had a couple of crossings that we weren't quite prepared for that weren't mentioned in the outline. That um, was a bit of fun. So no, it was fantastic. Highly recommend it. Highly recommend. Easy, practically uh, for, for New Zealand. A lot of the New Zealand was walks, it cold? No, nah, just well, wet. It was cold. But, okay, but we, we survived. Um, a lot of the New Zealand walks are somewhat difficult. You know, they're kind of point to point and logistically a bit of a challenge. With this one, you can park up at one end, get the boat to the other end, or do it the other yeah. way and get the boat back. So it's a good one. So check it, it out. It, seriously, team, if you ever come to New Zealand, oh, that was one other thing. Oh, here we go. First, first day walking along, and I'm not sure if it was the first person we saw, but it was certainly one of the first people walking along. And he goes, "Oh, coming the other direction." Oh, John Newsom. I said. Mate, you're oh, a celebrity. You, uh, Don't make out you're not a celebrity. You get Mark, this everywhere you go. Mark. Come on. Come Wilkshire, on. Wilkshire. I think he's the unpredictable. Oh, yeah, yeah. Wilkshire, and, and, yeah. I don't think I'd met Mark before, and he uh, saw me coming and said hello. So it was nice to meet someone from the show out there on the track. You get sick of the paparazzi, don't you? The paparazzi, you know. Just follow you everywhere you yeah. go. You and Kardashian. Yeah. You know, I tell you. What's happening in your world, Bevan? John, not as exciting as you, I tell you that much. Um, I'm off to Taipei two weeks from now. Mm-hmm. We have to record on the Monday that day. Okay. In the morning too, because I fly out Monday night. Okay. Gone for my premium economy. Oh, nice. Fingers crossed I get it. Yeah. I'm pretty stoked actually, because I wasn't going to go to Taiwan, and then they asked me to go. I stuffed up. Here's why, John. Because they go to me, can you go to Taiwan for the weekend? Um, you've got to teach some classes, and you've got to do a two-hour boot camp. Or you've got to do a boot camp. Mm-hmm. Now, boot camp's nothing. There's no such thing as a boot camp in the Les Mills world. So I thought to myself, okay, probably a couple of hours of work that I add on to the work I'm doing on the day. So I said yes, thing, and I'll be away for maybe three or four days. Turns out the boot camp's a two-day thing. I've got to, and I've got to learn so, so much work. Oh. So now I'm away for like 10 days. Not happy, but such is life. Mm. But I get this, the free upgrade because mm-hmm. I travel. Yes. And I wasn't flying in New Zealand before I was going to run out. Mm. But now, Premium Economy. There you go. Premium Economy's coming up. So I'm pretty excited about that to Hong Kong. And then uh, Joe and I went to see a movie on Saturday night called Get Out. Mm-hmm. Bit of a horror. No. Kind of a horror, not yeah. not not like monsters horror, yeah, but a little bit horror. Mm-hmm. And you know, horrors aren't documentaries, are they, John? I wouldn't classify them. No, no, because no. at the end of the movie, I really enjoyed it, and and everyone who's seen this movie said, "Oh, it's a great movie." Mm-hmm. Joe turns to me and she goes, nah, "It wasn't that realistic." Yeah. <laughs> it's a horror. <laughs> <laughs> it ain't a documentary, so she she felt it was a bit unrealistic. Okay, a horror. Yeah, so here we go. Good don't, don't know what she was expecting. Uh, other than that, John, um, that's a bit of the extent of it, really. Great. Yeah. I'm going to hit that sun for my bike ride now. Yeah. Hit it hard. Iron Russ. I'm in dope. Train hard. <laughs> Train smart.
Kika. Kika.